This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Five, four, three, two, one. But who's counting, right? His name is Major. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital. Major, fantastic. It's the takeout. This is a major achievement. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major Garrett. Yes, CBS. Yes, hi. Major Garrett. Major, that's nonsense. And you should know better. Is Major out of the doghouse? (laughs) The answer is yes. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. I'm Major Garrett. Welcome to The Takeout. For those of you watching on CBS News streaming, uh, this is not exactly the basement tapes of The Takeout, but it's close. Let's just say uh, I've been asked and tasked to handle more of the technical side of the show this week. Always a dangerous proposition. Our ranks have been a bit thin um, because COVID's still a thing. It's not a terrible thing, but it's still a thing. And our ranks are a little thinner this week. So I'm doing a little bit more of the technical and putting things together. It looks a little different. It may sound ever so slightly different. But we push through. We never not arrive every week with a fresh and original show. I'm glad you're with us. And look, ladies and gentlemen, I know what the headlines have been domestically this week. Trust me, I know. Everything about Roe versus Wade and this leaked draft of an opinion from the Supreme Court. We will get to that in due time, but not this week. This week, we're going to return to the subject I told you many, many weeks ago this show would focus relentlessly upon, which is the fate of Ukraine, the fate of Europe, and the fate of what can only be described as the post-World War II architecture that we have come to know for the past seven decades. Our guest is Bill Taylor, former ambassador to Ukraine, charge of affairs in Ukraine, and also, uh, I think it's fair to say, um, a military hero from Vietnam. First in his class, or near the top 1% of his class at West Point, two tours in the infantry in Vietnam. Bill, it's great to have you with us. Thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So... For my audience's benefit, Bill, uh, tell us what you see happening in Ukraine right now, what you think the state of play is, and what you are most watching for in the next couple of weeks. Major, we're seeing the second phase of this war. The Russians lost the first phase. Uh, the, The Russians thought that they could run down the river towards the capital, Kiev, um, and take it over and uh, and depose, get rid of, somehow take over the government of President Zelensky. Um, and the a combination of the Ukrainian military um, being amazingly brave and competent and fighting fiercely, uh, a combination of that and incompetence of the Russians, kind of underestimating what they were up against. The Russians did not figure on this fierce fighting, this fierce defense coming from the Ukrainians. So they were not prepared, um, and it showed. 
um, and the Ukrainians drove them out uh, back into Belarus, back into Russia uh, in, the, in this first phase. So the second phase is what we're now in, and we're approaching in this second phase a, uh, a big thrust, a big offensive from the Russians from the east. They are both mounting forces uh, that have not yet been in the fight, um, but also they're taking some of these units that got beaten up um, in the first phase, north of, of Kiev, around into this second phase. And so the, the problem for the Russians is many of their troops have been in the field for months. And many of the troops are in units that are combat ineffective. They've had to be, have to be reconstituted uh, because of all the damage, all the fighting that they lost in the first phase. So that's where we are, Major. We're in the we're in we're about to see the big push. We think <clears throat> from the Russians in this second phase. The Ukrainians are preparing. They've been preparing all along. A key part of that preparation is NATO arms, NATO equipment, NATO ammunition, NATO artillery, long-range artillery that allows the Ukrainians in this phase to do what they didn't need to do in the first phase. In the first phase, they could, they could run short ambushes and they could, they could be in the forests, in the swamps. They could sneak up on the Russian columns, the columns that we saw to the north and northwest of Kiev. And the Ukrainians could pick off the tanks and pick off the artillery. Well, in the east, it's different geography. It's, it's plains, it's steppe. Think of Kansas. Um, and it's hard to sneak up on the plains of of Kansas. So it's uh, it's a different fight. And the Ukrainians are preparing. NATO, to its credit, <clears throat> led by the United States, is providing long-range artillery. I was just in touch with a friend of mine who is in the in the Ukrainian military, and he tells me that those long-range 155 millimeter artillery pieces are there in the east, having a, a, a firing now and having an effect on the Russian. All to say, Major, that's where we are are right now. And for the audience's benefit, I go through this a lot, but I'm not an expert. You're as close to an expert as my audience is going to listen to for the foreseeable future. State from your perspective right now what the stakes are in Ukraine, not just for that country, but everyone near nearby, Europe writ large, and the United States. You're exactly right. The Ukrainians are fighting for a much bigger issue much bigger theme, a much bigger goal. Um, the Ukrainians, of course, are fighting for their own land. Uh, the Ukrainians are fighting not just for the territory, not just for their villages and their towns and their cities. They're fighting really major for their existence. They are fighting because they don't want to be dominated by the Russians. They've been dominated in their history by the Russians. For the last 30 years, they've been free of the Russians and they want to stay that way. So that's, that's the immediate issue. That's the immediate goal that the, that the Ukrainians have. However, as you indicate, they're fighting for more than that. It turns out, turns out that they're fighting for us. They're fighting for Europe. They're fighting for, again, they probably wouldn't state it this way. They're fighting for their own land, their own territory, their own existence, but they're also fighting for democracy in some real sense. They're fighting for, for the, the triumph of the, 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 the success of democratic nations who are under threat from autocratic nations. And it's just, it's so clear where the Russians are, autocratic, oppressive, 
aggressive, uh, heartless. It, the, 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 the atrocities that we're seeing in Ukraine just demonstrate what life under autocrats can be. And so that's what Ukrainians are fighting against. That's, what, that's why it's important that they win because if, they, if the Russians move into Ukraine, then this acquisition, this aggressiveness, this, this, these atrocities are likely to be inflicted on Europe, on Eastern Europe, on NATO allies. If the Russians attack NATO allies, having if they're allowed to win in Ukraine, I don't think they will, but let's just, if they were allowed to win in Ukraine, if we were not going to provide them the weapon, provide the, the Ukrainians the weapons they need to, to defeat the Russians, then the Russians would be able and, and likely uh, to attack NATO. And what that means is the United States is engaged. So, Bill, uh, we've got about a minute 30 before we need to go to our first break. Do you think the Ukrainians can win? I do. I do think they can win. They think they can win. And they can win if we provide them the means, if we provide them the weapons and the ammunition and the fuel and things like protective gear, major things like socks. They, they, uh, these are the kinds of things that, that the Ukrainians need. If they get those, if they get the big things and the small things, they will win because they'll fight to the end. They will not give up. They will fight until they win. And even though that will and has inflicted tremendous civilian casualties, you mentioned atrocities on the other side of the break. We'll talk about the difficulties of prosecuting atrocities, war crimes, genocide, and the like. But you do believe they can win. And have you detected, as I have, Bill, in our last 30 seconds before break, a shift in the Biden administration's appraisal of that possibility? I do. I do. Uh, the shift is you see it in their rhetoric. You see it when when General Austin says that they're, they're that they believe they're going to win and we believe they're going to win. And you see it. You see it from Tony Blinken. You see it from the president. So the, the commitment there to the Ukrainians and their success, their victory. The last thing before we go um, to, to the break, Major, the, the Ukrainians don't talk about after the war. They talk about after the victory. Um, so that they're convinced they will win. After the victory. That's a great way to go to our first break. Segment two of The Takeout with former Ambassador to Ukraine, Bill Taylor, when we come back. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. 
Welcome back to Takeout. I'm Major Garrett. You probably already knew that. Bill Taylor is our special guest. Bill, uh, before we delve ever more deeply into this topic, just summarize for my audience your experience in Ukraine, your familiarity with President Zelensky. Sure, Major. So I, I served in Ukraine twice. Um, I served uh, as a master in 2006-2009. This is between the two revolutions, the Orange Revolution in 2004-2005 and the Revolution of Dignity um, in 2013-2014. Uh, in, in um, and then I went back um, uh, after Masha Ivanovich, Ambassador Ivanovich, was pulled out uh, by the Trump administration. Uh, they asked me to go back um, in 2019. And that's when I met President Zelensky for the first time. He had just been elected, just been inaugurated. Uh, um, I, one of the reasons they wanted me to go back was to have an ambassador there to be a president uh, for President Zelensky as he got started in his presidency. So I met with him many times during that summer, fall into the winter. Um, very impressed. Of course, uh, that was a different time. That was before this invasion. It was after the, the Russians invaded the first time. We have to remember, of course, the Russians invaded in 2014. Uh, they invaded first Crimea and then in the Donbass where they stayed. Um, and, and President Zelensky was elected in 2019. So after four years, five years of, uh, of that war, and he was committed to ending that war and cleaning up corruption, by the way. Those were his two planks um, in his campaign. So he was, he was uh, enthusiastic, he was optimistic, he was even idealistic about, uh, about those two campaign promises. And how has he changed in your appraisal since the onset of this war? So I went back uh, uh, in January, this past January, so three weeks before the invasion, um, we will all remember that uh, this was the time when the intelligence services were, to our intelligence services and others, were saying that there's 120,000 Russian troops arrayed on three borders of Ukraine. Um, and the, the question was, would Putin invade? Um, and there was, a, there was a debate, of course. And uh, President Zelensky wanted to be sure that his nation, that his citizens, that Ukrainians didn't panic. Um, on the other hand, there were many people in the West, including President Biden, who said there is a high likelihood. It is imminent. There, there was a big debate as to how imminent, but, but uh, imminent invasion. But when I was there, I saw President Zelensky in his office. We had a good conversation. Um, he again was calm. He was determined. He was already talking about how he's going to improve and expand his military. He was going to raise the pay. Um, he was he was already looking to where he could, was going to make Ukraine uh, be the, the 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 goal the the, the gold standard um, of uh, of Europe. He wanted to be, he wanted Ukraine to be part of Europe, and he wasn't sure. Uh, none of us um, were, was was sure. We weren't sure whether or not Putin was going to invade or not. Might he might be just kind of trying to intimidate President Zelensky, and he failed. Uh, and he failed. Uh, he didn't intimidate. He still hasn't intimidated. He did invade, as as we know. And when you look at the role that Zelensky has come to play, not just in Ukraine, quite obviously, but on the world stage, was that something you detected when you first met him? Or has this invasion not only changed his country, but changed him? I think it has changed him, Major. I think you're exactly right. Um, he has stepped up. Um, as we know, he had no elective experience. Uh, he, he had never been elected to any office uh, before. He was elected president in 2019. He was a successful businessman. He, he led an entertainment company. 
He starred in a, in a show um, in which he portrayed the president of Ukraine uh, from humble beginnings, hum, humble, humble background, um, and took on the oligarchs and really was, was, uh, was a hero. Um, uh, but he became a hero in a different way when, when Putin invaded. Uh, president Zelensky, in the face of, I mentioned that first phase of the war, Major, when, when the Russians were coming down um, from the north and they got into Kiev, they got into the outskirts of Kiev and President Zelensky did not flinch. He was offered a way to get out of Kiev to protect himself and, and to protect the government. He said, no, um, he's gonna, he said, I'm gonna stay here. And he did, he stayed in Kiev, he's still there now. He showed great courage and he showed his people that he was their leader. They have backed him fully. Again, Major, when I was in uh, in Kiev uh, in January, just three weeks before the election, before the invasion, um, I met with President Zelensky, but I also met with the opposition leaders. And before the invasion, opposition leaders do what opposition leaders do, and that is they criticize and they point out the problems. But on 24th of February, when the Russians invaded, they all fell in behind President Zelensky, and they are fully supported. The opposition his own team, the, the Ukrainian people broadly, almost across the board, 92, 94%, incredible support for President Zelensky. And he takes advantage of that. He leads them and they support him. So Bill, as you well know, um, there are a great number of refugees from this war, internally displaced and externally displaced, meaning people have moved within Ukraine to avoid bloodshed and moved out of the country to find what they hope will be more safety in neighboring countries. If Ukraine prevails, do you think it will be what it was before or the demography of Europe and that country itself will be forever changed? I think the country will be forever changed in a couple of ways. Um, one is there is great devastation. It's not universal dev devastation across the country, but there are cities, as we know, as you have described, as, as we've seen on the front pages, um, that are devastated, that are, that, and they will have to totally rebuild. Um, there's a lot of the country that's not yet affected, um, and we hope that it won't be affected. Um, a lot of Ukraine's economy um, is now in the IT sector. A lot of it, of course, is agriculture, and it's incredibly productive agriculture. The lands there are among the most fertile in, in the world. Um, and so, so that will, of course, stay, but the IT sector and other high-tech sectors um, will, will, be the, will be the theme of a rebuilt, a rebuilt Ukraine. So that will happen. Those Ukrainians who have left the country, ma mainly women and children, want to come back. We already see them starting to come back, even, before, even as the war continues. They are already coming back. A couple of days ago, more people came, more Ukrainians came back into Ukraine than left. Um, now, now that's, that's still a big problem, it's an enormous problem, and great credit to the Poles in particular, but other East Europeans as well, for opening their towns and their, their villages, their homes, uh, their economies, their jobs to these Ukrainians while, they are be, while they're forced out by the Russians. But, but they will go back and they will rebuild, Major, they will rebuild. Um, the, but the other big thing that will be different um, is the, they will not forget the Ukrainians will be their own nation. They'll be a proud nation, independent, sovereign nation after they prevail, after they win, after their victory. And the Russians will have a fierce 
enemy on their neighbor, on their border for generations. The Russians have, this is a big blunder. Why would you want to have a hostile nation on your border? Why would you want to have a, a, a nation, the Ukrainian nation, who is now hate, they hate them. The Ukrainians hate the Russians uh, for what they're doing. And you can see why. It is, it's inhumane. It is unbelievable. It's unbelievable, brutal what they've, what the Russians have done to Ukrainian people, not to mention the city. So they, they rebuilt, but they're, they're not going to forget. About a minute before our next break, Bill. So I'll tee this up. Take as long as you need. I may jump in and we'll continue on the other side. What are you most afraid of in the next month? One of, the, one of my concerns, uh, be, because it's so important for the United States and the rest of NATO to provide these weapons and the ammunition to the Ukrainians so they can win, um, that focus, um, which so far has been great, um, and President Biden, this $33 billion package uh, going to the Congress, that's a demonstration of the kind of support that needs to continue. We need to stay the course. The Ukrainians are fighting for us. We need to continue to provide them with the, with the wherewithal, with the weapons and the ammunition and the socks for, for, them to, for them to prevail. And so what I hear you saying is don't get this bogged down in other extraneous issues. Move this money along. Demonstrate to Putin and everyone who's watching, including the fence sitters, and there are many across the world that the United States is resolutely committed. Is that what I hear you saying? You are absolutely right. You got it exactly. Bill Taylor is our special guest. Segment three of The Takeout on the other side of this break. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. I'm Major Garrett. Bill Taylor is our special guest. Bill, you referred to this earlier, and one of the things I love to do on this show is help people understand not just the moment we're in, but how we got here. You mentioned two revolutions in Ukraine. The Orange Revolution and the Revolution of Dignity. Briefly describe the two and their importance to our current times. So in 2004, um, there was a presidential election uh, in Ukraine. And let me just take this opportunity to say, it's a real democracy, Major. It's a real democracy. The, the, your, the, the conversations, the arguments, the debates um, are, are as good as anywhere in the world. They have, they have late night uh, TV shows, by the way, um, that are talk shows and they are debates. Um, among among a range of, uh, of of actors or political actors, they go into one in the morning. They start at nine and they go to one in the morning, and there and people watch it. Lots of Ukrainians watch it. It's a real democracy. And in 2004, um, there there were two candidates, both named Victor Victor Yushchenko and Victor Yanukovych. Um, Victor Yushchenko was more inclined towards Europe. Victor Yanukovych was more inclined towards Russia. President Putin supported Victor Yanukovych. Um, and in the first round, in the in the in the in the first round, um, Viktor Yanukovych apparently won, but it was clearly a fraud. And so the people of Ukraine went to the streets. This was the Orange Revolution, and Viktor Yushchenko, the the Western-leaning, European-leaning candidate, 
who apparently lost in the first round, went to the streets with his millions um, and demanded and finally got a recount, uh, not a recount, a, a new election, a new election. And he was he won that one clearly. Uh, so, so that was the first revolution uh, uh, of the orange revolution based on the color of his scarf. Um, and it was, it was taken all over the world. Uh, the second revolution uh, took place uh, in 2013. And again, this, this other victor, the victor who lost in 20, uh, 2004, lost to Yushchenko, Viktor Yanukovych was elected in 2010, free and fair election apparently. Um, so he was the president and, and the people of Ukraine wanted to go to Europe. Um, they wanted to join the European Union. And Viktor Yanukovych, the president, still kind of West, still kind of Euro, uh, uh, Russian leaning, um, was forced to, to, to make the preparations to sign an association agreement with the European Union. About this time, 2013, President Putin wakes up and says, wait, I don't want Ukraine moving farther towards Europe. So President Putin bribed uh, Viktor Yanukovych, the Ukrainian president, not to sign that uh, association agreement um, and bribed him with $15 billion lower gas prices. But that triggered this next revolution, the revolution of dignity. And the, peop the people of Ukraine, again, went to the streets in the winter through the, through the horrible snowstorms. Um, it, it turns out then that Viktor Yanukovych, the president, actually attacked those protesters killed 100. That just brought more people to the streets and eventually ran him out, uh, out of town, out of the country, into Russia, where he is today. That was the, that was the revolution of dignity. Now, I'm going to ask you to do a little bit more educating of my audience. What is the Russian disposition in the eastern part of Ukraine as we see it now. It started in 2014, as we know. Why is it so important there? And do you foresee Russia still holding on to that territory, even if Ukraine, quote unquote, wins? Not just quote unquote wins. They're going to win, Major. Let, 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 let me just state that again. Uh, but you're right. Uh, they have, the Russians have occupied two parts of Ukraine since 2014. Um, when Viktor Yanukovych fled, um, the Russians invaded. Um, first, they invaded uh, Crimea, the southernmost part of, uh, of Ukraine, uh, the peninsula into the Black Sea. And then they invaded the southeastern part called uh, Donbass. It's Donetsk and Luhansk, um, where they've been for the last eight years, where they've been since 2014, the Russians. Um, and the question is, when, when the Ukrainians fight the Russians to a standstill, or even better, when they push them back from the areas that they've more, most recently, over the past two months, occupied, um, what happens to Donbass and Crimea? It's a good question. Um, uh, and Ukrainians will never give up claim to any of their territory. Ukrainians will not give up claim to Donetsk and Luhansk um, and Crimea. They will maintain that. For the last eight years, They've had to live, the Ukrainians have had to live with the Russians in, in Donbass and Crimea. And that might be the case after the Ukrainians win this round, um, because they will look to see, the Ukrainians will look to see how in the end, over time, they can get these lands back. We, so one model to, to think about, Major, is, uh, is 
North Korea, South Korea, or even West Germany, East Germany, where, where South Korea developed um, itself into a, a, a great economy and a, and, a, and a great democracy, even while North Korea was occupied by, by a, a foreign power, in this case, North Korea. Um, but the South Koreans were able to develop even while they didn't have control over the North. Um, um, and um, they will look to that. The East West Germany is another interesting one. So West Germany developed, uh, started the European Union, that became what became the European Union, which they then joined, as well as joined NATO, even while the Soviets occupied and, and controlled um, East Germany. And in the end, they, they, uh, they unified, as we know. So all to say that the free Ukraine, whatever it is after they win, um, and come to some ceasefire um, and, and the Russians pull back um, and the Ukrainians continue to develop their economy and their democracy, they will continue to have claim, maintain their claim to the rest of Ukraine. Do you have any anxiety, Bill, that either chemical, biological or nuclear weapons might manifest themselves in this war? I do worry. Uh, we have to worry. We all have to worry about that um, because... President Putin has made what we would think of as irrational decisions before. Um, if he's put into a desperate strength, which he will, be, which will happen because the Ukraine is going to push him back. The question is, does he cross that threshold into use of weapons of mass destruction? So the answer is yes, we have to be prepared. We have to uh, start to prepare, which we are starting to prepare the Ukrainians to deal with that. Um, on the question of nuclear, um, uh, if he were to if Putin were to make another blunder, I mean, his blunder of invading Ukraine was this first one. If he were to make a further blunder and use nuclear weapons, then that would that would cross another threshold. Um, people have suggested ways that we that NATO would have to respond. Uh, NATO is thinking about it. NATO is actually giving a lot of thought to that. The United States is giving a lot of thought to that. The Biden administration is giving a lot of thought to what kind of response would be to try at first in the first instance to deter that use. In the second instance, to respond if they if if Putin were to make that were to make that blunder, you've reported how, how Bill Burns, the head of the CIA, director of the CIA, has said in answer to your question, yes, we have to be careful. Yes, we have to observe. Yes, we have to be worried that they will do that. And the CIA under Bill Burns is focusing on exactly that. So far, they've not seen any indication uh, on the Russian side of preparations to use nuclear weapons. But they have to be. They have to watch that carefully. About a minute before we go to our next break, tell my audience how much eyes on intelligence has changed this conflict. Meaning, not only do we have intelligence that we're sharing, but there is open source intelligence, satellite imagery that is explaining this war visually in ways I don't remember in previous conflicts. Ned, you're exactly right. Um, we are watching essentially World War II kind of combat um, um, in real time um, with overhead uh, pictures that we can go down to see individual tanks from the, from the satellites. Um, we can see the individual uh, trenches. Um, we can see what's happening just, just, as you say, open source. In addition, the United States um, and allies have made extremely effective use of intelligence uh, to highlight and to out the Russians about what they might be doing in preparation for false flag operations, 
um, other kinds of, but the other good thing, amazing thing on this intelligence sharing has been the United States providing and other allies providing the Ukrainians with real time intelligence on Russian movements, um, enabling the Ukrainians to counter them. Um, and, and that may have turned the tide in the north uh, when the Russians were trying to take Kiev in the, in the first phase of this war, when they were trying to take Kiev, they, they had an airborne unit coming into an airport to the north of Kiev. And apparently, we don't know this yet, uh, the full details, but um, with a lot of intelligence support from the United States, the Ukrainians were able to counter that and, and attack those, those airborne troops, which are not heavily armored, because they come in from the air um, and we're able to push them out. And that may have turned the tide in that battle for Kiev. That is the voice of Bill Taylor, former ambassador to Ukraine. I'm Major Garrett, segment for The Takeout in just one second. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. I'm Major Garrett. Bill Taylor, former ambassador to Ukraine and charge aid affairs to Ukraine, our special guest, Bill, we talked about this a bit earlier. Um, how difficult will it be for the world to prosecute either commanders, soldiers, or Vladimir Putin for war crimes or genocide? Major, it will be very difficult if the Russians win. This is another reason why the Russians must lose and the Ukrainians must win. Uh, you and I have talked about how, in my view, and in the Ukrainians' view, um, and in the U.S. view, the Ukrainians will win. And one of the main reasons is in order to have accountability for these atrocities, for these war crimes. It is, it is just gut-wrenching to watch, to look, and to see the devastation in these cities, not just to the infrastructure, but to people, to see the dead people, the dead Ukrainians, um, it is it's uh, it just steals you, steals Ukrainians. Uh, it should steal the international all of us um, to ensure that the Ukrainians win so that all those commanders, um, all the soldiers, the commanders and the chain of command up to and including President Putin are brought to justice. It will take time. We know this. We've seen in previous previous exercises of accountability whether it's tribunals or courts, the international court, uh, ICC, whether it takes time. You have to build the case, you have to build a legal case. But what is clear now is that there have been atrocities, there have been war crimes. President Biden calls it genocide um, and others have called it genocide. There are, there are, there are parliaments in Europe who have who determined that it's genocide. That can't go unpunished. That has to be, the accountability needs to be there. And the Russians need to lose. And Bill, let me just ask you this, because you are a diplomat and trained negotiator. You can't negotiate that power away, can you? Meaning the Russians might say, hey, we're going to sue for peace. It was a huge miscalculation. We'll back out. 
but we don't want to be prosecuted. You cannot put that on the table, can you? Correct. There's no statute of limitation. Um, uh, they are clearly guilty in, in, in the worldview, um, uh, in all of our, all of our legal, you know, we don't have to be legal scholars to see that this is genocide or that this is at least war criminals. Um, so, and, and that cannot be waived. That cannot be, there's no statute of limitation there. They'll be prosecuted. Bill, you also have experience in the Middle East, and there will be those in my audience who will say, you know, what we're seeing in Ukraine, we also saw in Syria. The Russians were deeply involved there. Atrocities were committed there. And that was a prelude to what is happening in Ukraine. Is that an oversimplification? Wherever there are atrocities, wherever there are war crimes, we should be prosecuting. We should be, again, without statute of limitations, we should go after them. What this war has shown, what the, what the Ukraine war, what the Russians attack an invasion of Ukraine has demonstrated is that the, the international community has a conscience. Uh, the international community can see very clearly in this case that the Russians uh, are guilty of, of, of guilty of aggression, guilty of war crimes. It's harder to see, if, if it's harder to see in other, other locations, like in Syria, in other nations, then this ought to help clarify what the Russians are, what they've done. And if we prosecute them in Ukraine, which we will, which we should and will, then we should do it in other places as well. One of the underlying elements of that previous question was the Western world, the civilized world did not respond as it should have in Syria. Your thoughts on that? Again, um, this is this is a, a clarifying moment. Um, we have made mistakes in the past. We have not intervened to, to stop genocide in the past. That's a stain on, on our history. Um, that going all the way back to World War II. We knew what was going on in a lot of cases uh, in, in these in these camps where people were being killed by the Nazis. We knew what was going on. We didn't intervene. That's a stain. We knew what was going on in Rwanda. That's a stain. And, and this is very clear. This is very clear. And to the credit of the international community under uh, in the West, we are intervening now. We are, a lot, we are providing the weapons to the Ukrainians to stop this, if it's genocide, stop these war crimes. We are intervening now to allow the Ukrainians to, to prevail and stop stop these war crimes. That and we should we should learn. Maybe we have learned. Maybe this previous mistakes, omissions that, that we made, maybe that is motivating us now to be sure that the Russians lose and the Ukrainians win and accountability as is found. Bill Taylor is our special guest, a former US ambassador to Ukraine and charge aid affair to that country. If you're scanning the headlines about this conflict, Bill, you know that you can find stories talking about Russian filtration camps, places in which Ukrainians are being taken from Ukraine and reprogrammed or somehow filtered back into the Russian society. That sounds vaguely like a concentration camp. Explain to my audience what those might be and how we should be concerned about them. We should be very concerned. Again, this is a war crime, Major, exactly as you say, um, uh, in particular around Mariupol. So the Ukrainians have been defending heroically, heroically, almost, almost miraculously, um, uh, this town on the Sea of Azov, this port town, uh, surrounded for, what, seven, eight weeks now, totally surrounded, 
totally cut off from uh, from electricity, water, food, medicine, um, any support from the outside. And they and the the soldiers there, the Ukrainian forces have defended even even and what the Russians are doing are taking those women and children in particular and others back into Russia. And there are reports exactly what you say of these filtration camps. Again, war crime. That this, this is a, this is by this is a classic war criminal activity um, where they try to take these Ukrainians and and move them back into Russia. Um, uh, they they will be doing other things, maybe like like trying to uh, take out the mayors and governors of Ukrainian city cities and regions and replacing them with Russians, um, and then forcing the Ukrainians to to essentially. A vote for them. They won't do that. Ukrainians will not do that. Ukrainians will resist um, and they won't allow that to happen. So they will continue to resist these filtration camps. Good luck with that, uh, the Russians. They, they here again, I think, is an indication of how the, how the Russians have misunderstood and underestimated the Ukrainians. Ukrainians are not Russians. President Putin thinks they are. They're not. They are a separate nation. They're a proud nation. They will not be filtrated back into Russia. That is the voice of Bill Taylor, our special guest. For our radio audience, we need to say farewell. For those of you watching on CBS News Streaming, we thank you for that. Listening on all of our Takeout podcast platforms, you are our earliest and most beloved adopters. The Takeout Outtake Especial will be coming up in just one second. And just to put a little bit of a pin on that point that Bill Taylor just made, these filtration camps, and you can Google them, folks, they are classic dictionary definitions, in addition to other things we've seen of war crimes being committed in Ukraine to Ukrainians by the Russian government. I'm Major Garrett. We'll see you next week. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome to your Takeout Outtake Especial. I'm Major Garrett. You know, this is the fun and game segment of our program, but let's be honest and candid with one another. Ukraine has not really lend itself to a lot of fun and games jocularity, but we will continue our conversation because, as I've defined for this audience, I believe it's the most important story in the world, not just now, but for decades to come. Bill Taylor is our special guest, former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine and charge of affairs to Ukraine. Um, Bill, we've talked about a lot of aspects of this story. Um, what has in your estimation, in the past two and a half months now of this conflict, been most surprising to you, either on the Russian or Ukrainian side? So the surprise for me, and and, and what I'm pleased to see, um, is the reaction of the Western world. The, the Western world has responded to President Zelensky, um, who in turn is representing the Ukrainian nation. Uh, the Ukrainian nation is totally with him, he's totally with them, and the West is with them. Um, the West realizes that this, as you just said, this is a turning point. Um, this is important for the West, it's important for Europe, 
important for the United States. This is important even for Japan and South Korea and Canada. This is important for Taiwan. Absolutely. The, the Chinese are watching this. Um, and they, they the, we haven't talked a lot about sanctions yet, uh, but let, that's, that's a surprise, Major. Um, that is the, the, the resolute sanctions, in particular, how hard these, how harsh these sanctions have been. We've never. But let me ask you about that, Bill. I'm glad you mentioned that because when I go on talk radio, hosts will ask me, why haven't we done every single sanction imaginable? Why do we still have this list of unsanctioned things? And I say, well, the Biden administration wants to do everything when it does it in a completely unified way. Is that the best explanation? What, that's a good explanation. And that is certainly true that the sanctions are better, are more effective uh, when they are universal or at least widespread internationally. And um, we have the Biden administration and the Europeans have put sanctions on Russia that are if, if it's on, a, on a scale of zero to one to ten. Um, they're at nine and a half right now. Um, there are some things yet to be done. There are a couple of banks, a couple of Russian banks that aren't, aren't yet sanctioned, not yet kicked off this SWIFT system. Uh, there are a couple of oligarchs that probably have not been uh, sanctioned yet. Uh, there, there are Russian uh, ships that are still docking at some ports. So there are, there are things to be done, but we're at nine and a half. Um, uh, we have used these sanctions on, this, on the central bank. We've never done that before. The Chinese got to be worried that that, that that sanction on the Russian central bank applied to them would be devastating. So, so this the, the international component is important, but we are at nine and a half out of ten. And I wonder if you're surprised, um, as I am, Bill, that I believe before this conflict began, among the many calculations Vladimir Putin made was the following. I will always care more about Ukraine than the West will. I will care more about Ukraine and risk more and pay more in blood and treasure for the future of Ukraine as I see it than will Berlin, than will London, than will Paris, than will Washington. I think he's been surprised that hasn't been the case. He's been surprised that that hasn't been the case. And the fundamental mistake he made was that Ukrainians care more about Ukraine than he does. Um, Ukrainians are... Absolutely determined. This is existential for them. The, the Ukrainians are going to fight till the end, till they win. Uh, and the amazing thing is what you just said. That is, we recognize the international, the, the West recognizes that the Ukrainians will care and will fight. Um, and that President Putin made a big mistake, a blunder, a strategic blunder, he, which he will pay for for generations. And do you believe this spirit of self-determination seen so visibly in Ukraine is also should Russia make a move into the Baltics or anyone else neighboring Russia, that that spirit of self-determination visible in Ukraine will be present and viable for those places should Russia try to go there? If, if Russia goes to the Baltics, as you just said, or any other NATO member, strategic blunder, Putin knows that he will lose that fight. He will lose that. If he takes on NATO, if he takes on the West, he will lose. Uh, there's, there's no doubt in his mind. There's no doubt in our mind that that would be such a strategic blunder. That said, the Ukrainians do have um, a, a, a sense of themselves um, and a, 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 a determination um, that other nations do have, but the Ukrainians have been under the Russian thumb for so long 
um, and are so pleased to have been out of it for the out of that Russian influence for the past 30 years that they fight it, they're fighting as hard as anyone. So it is the Ukrainians are are heroic in that sense. And uh, in our last 30 seconds, Bill, um, I asked you what you're afraid of. What are you optimistically looking for in the next month? I am looking for the Ukrainians to push back so hard, the Ukrainian military to push back so hard on the Russian military that the Russian military, who's, who's been beaten up, will crumble, will fold, and will be pushed back out of Ukraine. That's, I don't know what the probabilities are. It's probably less than 50-50, but, uh, but in answer to your question, Major, I would look for the Ukrainians to, to, to force the Russians back out of the areas that they've been into right now. That is the voice of Bill Taylor, former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine and charge aide affair to that country. Bill, been a great pleasure. Thanks for sharing the knowledge and perspective. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Major. It's been great to talk. We'll see you everyone next week. I'm Major Garrett. This has been The Takeout. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Jake Rosen, and Ashley Armstrong. CBSN production by Eric Susanen. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News. If you like The Takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. I'm CBS News correspondent Major Garrett, host of the podcast Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen. During the Cold War, FBI agent Robert Hansen traded classified secrets to the Kremlin in exchange for cash and jewels. In the podcast, you'll hear from Hansen's closest friends, family members, victims, and colleagues for the most comprehensive telling of who Robert Hansen really was. Binge the entire series now. Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen is available on the Wondery app, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings early and ad-free on the 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts.